It may take me a while to lose the smile from my face. I don't think I want to, though. That was so wonderful and so full of joy. Uh, God is to be praised for the many different ways He enables us to worship Him. Let's uh, turn now in our Bibles to John chapter 8, and uh, you'll find this on page 894 in the Bibles that we have for you in the pews. Uh, Christmas Day, Judy and I uh, headed out to see our children and grandchildren, but before we headed out, we had to pack the car with presents. And I learned something that I hadn't really seen before as we packed the car up. You know, as our kids were growing up, we limited the number of their presents to three after the wise men's three gifts to Jesus. Well, not so with grandchildren. I basically had to take the entire dining room full of presents and cram them into the car. Now, at some point, as I'm stuffing this little car of ours, I'm thinking, I'm going to have to leave uh, a suitcase. I'm going to have to leave my suitcase at, at home just to get the presents in the car. Finally, worked out, crammed everything in. Uh, then we stop in Atlanta to see my aunt. And my aunt says, guess what? I've got a present for you. And she did. She, she gave me 50 record albums, vinyl, old vinyl record albums that were my uncles of music that I just treasure because it's what my parents played when, when I was a kid. And so I said, yes, I would love these records. And uh, then I take them out to the car and I'm thinking, now where are they going to go? So I look at my suitcase again. And, and I'm thinking, we're going to have to leave a suitcase with my aunt and, and return on the way home and stop and pick it up. So we did. And Headed out to see our grandchildren and children on the way home, stopped and picked up Judy's suitcase from my aunt's. <laughs> I'm just kidding, darling. <laughs> we managed somehow to get everything in the car. But here's the, the, the point that uh, I want to make. We're here because we want Jesus Christ to be in our lives. But if Jesus is to be in our lives, we've got to make space for Him. And He takes up a lot of space. And some things in our lives have to go. But what I want to say to you is this. That is the only way we find freedom that God extends to us. As we continue our eight-week series on our strategic plan, uh, we're looking these first three Sundays on our mission statement, which is helping people find hope, freedom, and purpose in Jesus. We looked at hope last week. Today, we're going to look at freedom. And again, what I want to say is there is one place to find freedom, and that is in Jesus Christ. But we have to make room for Him if He is to come in. Let's start reading in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly. I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. 
yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Then skipping to verse 44, you are of your Father the devil, and your will is to do your Father's desires. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, we do come to you as the only Father who is good and right and pure and kind, the one who offers freedom through your Son. And so, Lord, today, wherever we are, in whatever ways we are bound up, would you enable us to find true freedom in Jesus Christ? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus says something here in this passage in verse 34, that, uh, that no doubt most of us have felt at one time or another, everyone, he says, who commits sin is a slave to sin. Uh, you know, I mean, who among us can say, honestly, that we've never felt stuck in sinful patterns of conduct? I mean, I, I can't. There have certainly been times in my life when I've been stuck and you have as well. But the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus Christ, the good news is that there is a solution for that. Jesus holds out to us the offer of freedom. And what I want to do then this morning is spend our time looking at how that freedom comes to us. And I'm going to make two simple points, the first of which is this. Freedom begins when you recognize that you have a problem that you can't control. As we read in verse 31, Jesus is speaking to Jews who had believed in Him, and yet it's very obvious very quickly that their belief was not a saving belief. As soon as Jesus basically says to them, you need freedom which you do not have, they get really, really angry. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, Christ is talking about a spiritual freedom, of course. They're talking about a physical freedom. But, but think about how blind they are as they're in their response to Jesus. I mean, they have been literal slaves in Egypt centuries before. Then they were in exile in, in Babylon. And now they're under Roman rule, a kind of oppressive rule. And so the, the appalling blindness that is there is probably hard for us to even understand. How is it that they can speak of having never really been enslaved? And yet the, the point that Jesus is really getting to is that we're all enslaved to sin if sin uh, is something we practice. It becomes our master. And the more we're mastered by it, the less we can see that we're mastered by it. Uh, the, the more we sin, the more we give in to sin, the more blinded we are by that sin and, and the less able to see that sin in, in our lives. Um, there was a, a Danish Christian in the 19th century, Soren Kierkegaard, you may know that name, but he used an illustration that I think is, is really helpful, one that you kind of you think, uh, I get it, that's going to stay in my mind. He used an illustration, a parable of sorts, to help people understand just how blinded we are, how sin blinds us and makes us kind of lack in self-awareness in terms of our own sin and who we really are and what we're being 
mastered by. He said there was a peasant, now this is the 19th century, a peasant who one day got enough money, received a gift, enough money to buy uh, new shoes and stockings. Again, 19th century. And so he bought those new shoes and stockings and he had enough money left over to get drunk. So he got drunk and on the way home passed out in the street. A few minutes later, a, a carriage comes along and uh, basically the carriage driver says to the peasant, wake up and move or I'm going to run over your legs. And so the peasant wakes up and he looks at his legs and he sees those new shoes and those stockings, which he doesn't remember because they're brand new and he's been drunk. And so he says, go ahead, they're not my legs. Now the, the point that he's making is that sin just blinds us to our ability really to see how caught up, how mastered we are by sin. And the more we're caught up in it, the less able we are to see it. And how this works, I can't exactly explain, but I've certainly seen it in my own life when people have had to point things out to me. Because the more we go down the pathway of certain sins, uh, the more we accept those things as being okay and can no longer see that they are wrong and unhealthy and even destructive. Here's what happens to all of us when it comes to sin. Uh, we become these experts at convincing ourselves that we're really much better people than we are. We have a hard time seeing our own faults. Go ahead, they aren't my legs. That's kind of our attitude. The turning point, though, the beginning of freedom from enslavement to sin comes when we begin to recognize our sin and can then admit it, and even more than that, can start to feel deep sorrow for our sin. You know, one of the things that we do a lot in worship here is have a time where we confess our sins together. And, and that can be a really, really important part of worship. But I think what often happens, and, and we're probably all guilty of this at times, is that that becomes a kind of time to check out uh, or to just kind of go through the motions, to say the words of confession of sin without really feeling deep sorrow for our sin. It, it's been said recently, and I, and I believe fully that it's true, that confessing that I'm a sinner no longer packs the punch that it once did. I mean, we don't dread saying those words in, in worship. It doesn't even make us wince at all when we're owning up to our sin, at least in our words. And, and so what I want to do for a moment is just take you to a meeting in, in your mind. I want to take you to an alcoholic's anonymous meeting. And I want you to watch someone who has been drunk for the better part of 30 years, who has lost his career and his marriage, his self-respect, who has been in jail and in treatment programs and bankruptcy court, who has thrown up on the furniture, passed out on the kitchen floor, who has fought for 30 years against saying a few certain key words, even while he watched his life fall apart. I want you to kind of watch him as he sits in a room in a circle with other alcoholics and for the first time say the words that will crush him, but then bring him life. My name is Jack. 
I am an alcoholic. My name is Joe or Bill, Mary, Susan, whatever it may be. My name is Jack, and I'm an alcoholic. Now, here's the way those words feel the first time someone says them. They feel like death because they are. They are the end of one life. But the beautiful thing is they are the beginning of a better life. They have been avoided. Those words, the acknowledgement of sin, have been avoided every day of his life until now. But from this day forward, those words will be remembered and cherished. And and around the circle, uh, the other members of AA say, Hi, Jack. They're celebrating with him. Not that he's got a problem with drinking, but that he's finally gotten to the place where he's recognized and acknowledged that he has a problem he can't control because they, they know that is the starting point for finding freedom from his alcoholism. Now, now here's where I'm going with this. When, when the confession of sin in worship is really working, it, it is very much like the words, my name is Jack and I'm an alcoholic. Whatever our struggle is, and, and no one here is exempt. My name is Jack, and I am full of lust. Or my name is Jack, and I'm a grumbler. Never really all that happy with anyone or anything. My name is Jack, and I care really more about myself than anyone. Or my name is Jack, and I love my career more than I love my family or my God. It's so difficult at times to acknowledge who we really are, that we have a problem we can't control, but, but it's the beginning of freedom. And, and here's why. It leads us to look beyond ourselves for the help we need because we realize that we cannot fix ourselves. And if we will look to Christ, we'll find the freedom that we're longing for from whatever our sin struggles are. You know, we all have a sin problem. Not one of us can rescue ourselves from it. That's the first step to freedom, recognizing that. The second step, then, is to turn to Christ for that freedom. Verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And and then he answers how? Verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Perseverance in the the Word of God is absolutely necessary if we're going to find this freedom. But that doesn't mean, as we've already seen by these folks who believed in Jesus, it doesn't mean just believing certain truths about Him. Jesus speaks to these men who believed certain truths about him in this way. You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. There's no room, in other words, in your life uh, for me or for my truths. And that really takes us full circle back to packing the car on Christmas and making room for all the presents. Because what Jesus is saying to them is that you may believe certain truths about me, but you haven't really made room for me in your life. He is the word. And His Word has got to find room in our lives. He takes up a lot of space, as I said a moment ago, which basically is all the space. And if anything conflicts with Him, it has to go. 
basically what you see in the lives of these folks that he is speaking to, and certainly in the lives of people in every church, is that while we believe certain truths about him, have we really made room for him in our lives? And, and oftentimes, no, not really, because there are things in our lives that we believe are more important to us than making room for Jesus, things that we love more than we love Jesus. And so what you find here is these men, rather than making room, rather than saying, okay, we're going to remove these things from our lives to make space, they, they're, they're so angry they're ready to kill Christ because he has really focused on their problem and it's made them incredibly angry. They want freedom, as everybody does at some level, but they bought into the lie that freedom is doing what we want to do. Again, they would say they believe in Jesus, but uh, they're not going to let him tell them what to do. Uh, they're going to do what they want to do because they think that that really is freedom. And, and quite frankly, isn't that the problem for most of us at times? We, we really, when, when we choose sin over Christ, it's because we believe that that is better or we love that more or we trust in that more or we believe, even though we wouldn't say it, that that's where freedom is. I get to choose for myself. But there's a, there's a problem with that, freedom is not found in doing what you want. I, I love the way one of my heroes puts it. Freedom is not doing what you want to do, but doing what you are meant to do. I mean, that is so important. Freedom is not found in doing what you want to do, but what you are meant to do. You are meant to be His disciple. Uh, that is what he created you for. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So, so what is a disciple? Well, uh, the bottom line is a, a disciple of Christ, according to the Great Commission, is someone who observes all that God has commanded. In other words, someone who has said to Christ, I'm going to make room for you no matter what you say. I'm going to do what you want me to do. If something can stay, great. If something has to go, great. Because I want you more than I want anything else. That's what a disciple is. Think about it um, this way. There's really no freedom trying to do what we want to do because our desires are just all over the place. One desire that we have is in conflict with a, a, another desire that we have. I mean, I want to lose weight, but I love ice cream. I really want to lose weight, but I really love P.W.'s ice cream. And, and you may remember that when I first moved here, I went there so many times that the young lady in the, the drive-thru handed me my ice cream one day and said, I'll see you tomorrow. I, mean, <laughs> I gained 20 pounds the first year we were here. That is no lie. Now, let me give you a much more serious example. I had a conversation not long ago with a man who was on the verge of adultery and you could just see in his words and in his heart in his facial expression that he was torn that he had the desire to be a faithful husband but the desire to find life as he put it and he thought that he could find that in this other woman his desires were tearing him apart which one do you choose of course we know what is right there Freedom, though, is just not doing what you want to do. You can't rely on your own heart to tell you what to do. 
because your desires are going to be all over the place. Freedom is doing what you are meant to do. Freedom is doing what you were created to do. It, 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 it becomes a part of us when, when we submit to the blueprints you know, for your life. If you want to know whether you should eat ice cream or not, go to your doctor. They study the body. The body they, they know whether it's good for you or not. If you want to know what is right and good for your soul, then you study the blueprint. You go to the manual, the one written through many, many people, but overseen by the God who created you and who knows exactly what you need and what is good for you and what is harmful to you. You know, I, I was a, a real estate developer for a number of years before God called us into ministry. And I think partly because of that and partly because I really enjoy seeing old things made new. I, I love some of the, the television shows where people are rebuilding old homes. And uh, one of the things that's almost consistent with a number of these shows is that they don't have the old blueprints and they don't know the original architect. And, and so they don't know always what they're going to find when they cut into a wall. You know, they don't know exactly where all the plumbing and the electrical uh, lines are. They don't, they don't know uh, where, you know, necessarily where all the load-bearing walls are. And so they make a lot of costly mistakes as they're trying to rebuild these homes. But, but here's the point. The, the blueprints of your soul are not missing. Here they are. And, and the original architect is alive and well and will speak to you through his word when you go to him looking for help on how to live. Follow the blueprints. They, they will bring you freedom. And, but if you follow anyone or anything else, including following your own self, bondage will, will follow. There's a, an even more serious warning in this passage, and I don't want to leave this passage before addressing it briefly. I'm going to wrap it up with this, but Jesus says some really tough words to these so-called believers in him. Basically tells them that they are of their father, the devil. And so what Christ is saying is that follow me and your father is my father. Follow yourself or anyone or anything else. And your father is, is the devil. And, you know, one leads to freedom. The other leads to bondage and eventual destruction. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I read a story just a couple of weeks ago that was one of the most horrifying stories in the news I've read in a long time. But just before Christmas in Australia, there was a four-year-old boy playing in his backyard when a 16-foot python came into the backyard. And he was coming after that little four-year-old boy. And he latched onto his leg and he started dragging that boy into a bush. And the boy starts screaming, father turns, sees his son screaming, runs to uh, where his son is and, and literally punches this python in the head. Uh, the python then lets go and the, the son starts to get up. But the snake recoils, coils again and strikes the son again. And so the father has literally got to take his head and, and, and pry his jaws open for the boy to be able to get up and, and run away. And then he is able, finally, with the help of a neighbor, to kill this snake. But later, as he's relaying all of this to the news, he, he says, I've never seen a snake so aggressive. 
What Jesus is saying here is that Satan is incredibly aggressive. He wants to drag you into bondage in order to destroy you. And he will, unless you recognize that you have a problem that you can't control. Sin is greater than you are, but it is not greater than your Father in heaven who will rescue you if you will cry out to him and and make room for Christ. There are some things in your life, there are some things in my life that have to go to make room for Jesus. So get rid of them, follow the blueprint, and it will set you free. There is no other way in this life, in this world, to find freedom. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, the warning that's here should put real fear into our hearts at some level. If we're holding back, if we're holding on to part of our lives or practices that we know don't really fit with Jesus. And so, Lord, may they scare us enough to flee to you and to find the help that we need to change and to make room for Jesus to take over not just part of our lives, but to really have access to all of our lives. Lord, may we be people who say yes to Jesus no matter uh, what he says to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.